Dog Training Digital presents the eCollars Podcast with Robin McFarlane and Steve Snell. Okay, the topic that we are talking about today is confusion versus distraction versus disobedience. This is the question of what your dog understands and how he understands it and if he understands it and is he just being is he being bad and is he not wanting to do what he's been taught or does he not understand what has been taught? So let's get into that because I think that is something that people don't. It's a little higher level than some things that people are used to seeing in a dog. So give me your take on that. What is, uh, yeah, and I get. think this is where, yeah, this is where people, this is the million dollar question piece. I think of training with a remote collar and it's why, it's why there's a lot of misunderstanding. Cause I think people automatically think if you've had trouble training your dog, then you go to the bigger hammer and now you're going to punish the dog and you're going to prove to him you have to do it your way or whatever. And that's where we get ourselves in trouble because we have to understand we've got to do the training first. And in the training, one of the things you're going to see is confusion. It is inevitable. It's inevitable because A, because we're bringing a new tool into it. The dog hasn't experienced it before. So it's just a new sensation that's, it's almost like another distraction in the beginning until they get the hang of it. And then what we're going to do once they get the hang of it, once we do what we've called collar conditioning, we start to teach them how to respond. Then we're going to start to up the ante with the dog, because that's the reality, right? These dogs, anybody's dog is pretty good when there's nothing going on. But now when we start to add distraction and there's more things going on, the dog is going to struggle with that. And this is where we get into this question of, okay, is my dog struggling? Meaning is my dog not responding because he doesn't know what to do? Is he not responding because he's so distracted by something else in his environment? Or is he not responding because he is actually making a judgment call, making a decision to disregard my direction and go do what he wants to do anyway? So that's where we get into, is he confused? Is he distracted? Or is he actually disobedient? And that's going to change what we're doing with the remote caller and what we're doing to assist the dog in getting the correct answer and performing the behavior. Okay. So, so how are you going to differentiate between these things? You're going to start in the training in a controlled environment, low distraction. And then as the dog progresses, then we're going to start to add the distractions in. When, when do you make the point? Everybody wants the recipe. They want the, it takes this many times. You do it this many ways. It works out this way. How do you start to make that decision as you're training where you start to, I guess, reach a point where you add distraction in? Because, I, think, I mean, we're, we're going to want to add the distraction. We're not going to want uncontrolled distractions. We're going to want to actually oh, add the distraction. Okay. So let's talk absolutely. about, let's talk about that process. So yes, you hit the nail in the head, Steve. Everybody wants a recipe and that's what's really difficult because recipe depends on, well, what do you want to achieve with your dog? What is your goal? What do you want mm -hmm. at the end? So yes, you start with very limited, no distractions, because the e-collar itself is going to be a distraction to the dog. And he's got to learn how to deal with that, how to respond to it. As soon as you see the dog doing well. And I mean, I've seen this in one session. I've seen it in two to three sessions later. It depends on the dog. And I've had some dogs, I'm three days in and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm still feel like we can't up the ante at all. But that's that particular dog. It is what it is. 
so when I see the dog re- responding, let's rough rule of thumb. He is responding 70 to 80% of the time. He's like, yep, I got it. I'm coming with called or I'm walking at your side or whatever. I'm doing the behavior most of the time reliably in this environment. Now I got to up the ante a little bit. So that is me adding some distractions to the picture. I'm doing pet dogs. So I might be taking a ball and tossing it if they're pretty ball motivated. I might be sprinkling some food on the pavement and having them heal past and around the food. So I'm going to start up in the ante like that. And again, dog is going to either be distracted by it, which means I'm going to turn up my level just a little bit to compensate for it. Or the dog might at some point, just because the environment changes, they might show, okay, I'm supposed to do something, but I'm not quite sure what. Just because things changed around them, I have to be watching the dog's response. So here's what I'm watching for. Is the dog pulling toward the distraction? Then I got to up the level a little bit because he's not noticing it. So I need to do that. But if the dog is just, oh, I'm not quite sure what to do right now. I'm a little overwhelmed by the amount of distraction, but he's trying to do something. He may not be doing the right thing, but he's trying to do something. That shows me the dog is a little bit confused. So for instance, let me give you a for instance. Let's say I've been working on a place command with the dog and he's doing pretty well at that. And so now I introduce some distractions. I've got maybe a helper over here who's throwing the ball or a helper over here who's riding a bicycle. And I tell the dog to place and instead of going to the place, he sits. Is he being okay. disobedient to me or is he just going, yeah, I'm trying to do something, but there's a lot of things I'm juggling right now in my thought process. I'm not going to turn up the level at that point because it tells me the dog is trying to do something to make stimulation turn off. He just didn't do the right thing. That's a dog that's confused. I'm going to tap the button again, but I'm going to put in a little more guidance to help him do the right thing rather than assume he's disobeying me. Does that nope. make sense? Yeah. So basically you're saying that he's not responding to the distraction. He's not doing what you want him to do, but he's not going after whatever you're saying that the distraction is. Exactly. I think he's exactly. I think he's noticing the distraction and it's causing a little bit of conflict in his mind. Maybe I want to go after the bike, but no, I'm supposed to do something. He just does the wrong thing. He's trying. I'm going to give him another opportunity to get it right. I'm going to help him a little bit a couple times, right? I'm going to guide him to that place while I'm using the e-collar. Mind you, I don't back off of using it. It's just that I'm not turning up the pressure because I haven't made an assumption. He's being disobedient to me. Same thing. Lots and lots of dogs. We're working on a sit or a down. And when I want them to sit back up from a down position, they don't get it. They don't know what to do. And people assume he's being disobedient. No, he doesn't understand what you want. You've got to step in and help him. So that's where it really is incumbent on the handler, the helper, the trainer to figure out what am I looking at here? Is the dog attempting to do something? Then he's not being disobedient to me. He's just confused. Is the dog just so tuned out that he's not noticing sensation because the distraction is really enticing to him? Then I just need to turn it up a little enough, whatever enough is to get his attention. Or that's the difference between the dog that goes, I know exactly what you're saying, Robin. You told me to sit, but I ain't doing it. I'm going because that rabbit, I'm getting it today. That is disobedience. Can you have disobedience like right off the bat? Nope. Okay. That's a okay. question. Yeah. Nope. 
Okay. Nope. Let's back up just a little bit. So distraction for you is, could be pretty much anything and even some really minor stuff. Okay. Because I think of, I don't know why, but my brain goes to distraction as another dog. That's for some reason, that's my, my, when we first start talking about distraction, I'm like, okay, we're bringing in another dog, but that's a really, it, it, once again, everything depends on the individual dog that you're working with, yeah. which is making it complicated because some dogs that's not going to bother. They're not going to care where, where if you throw a ball, that might be a huge distraction, but if the dog's not ball motivated, then they're not going to care. So I guess you have to know what the, what the distraction level is for the dog. But I think people need to understand that distraction can be extremely minor, really. If you think about it, I think it, it blew my mind the first time I saw you seed a yard with cheese. Well, it's really cruel. And you'll even do this in classes. I've seen you do it when there are 20 people out there. If nobody's out there and you're out there with a big bag of shredded cheese, just, yeah. just dumping cheese everywhere. And then people were like, I don't understand why my dog's <laughs> following me. So, so distractions come in a lot of different forms. And I do believe that once again, you've got to tie that to the dog, but we're talking about, we're talking about, uh, these things. They do come in a certain order in that, and I guess you can be confused and you can be distracted at the same time, but that's not being disobedient. And so, exactly. so, so you've got to get to a pretty high level before disobedience is really going to come into play. And that's exactly how I feel about it. And that's why I do all of these crazy things when I'm mm. teaching. So if I'm out there sprinkling cheese in the training field and I've got a group class, then that's a group class that I know everybody in this class has been through X number of lessons. They've been working at this with me for probably four weeks. The dog is doing really well, straight line heel. The dog is doing really well, heel on normal grass. The dog is doing really well, walking down the sidewalk. Today, I'm going to up the ante and I'm going to bait the grass because this is going to be a double challenge. It's always harder to, to have a dog heel on grass because they're just enticed by all those smells. Sure. So that's when I will up the ante for something like that. So yeah, I make a very conscious decision about these things. I do start, like you said, you never know what the dog is going to be distracted by. So when I'm training with a dog, I start with, well, let's see how they respond. What do they do with movement? And that's why I might have a helper tossing a ball or just bouncing a tennis ball from 10 feet away. I might take the tennis ball and bounce it while I'm practicing a place command, for instance. I might put some food in the peripheral, that kind of thing, and I'll work on recalls back and forth. The dog has to know is there. I'll have a squeaky toy usually in my pocket and just see, are they going to respond to sound? I will go from moving on pavement to moving on grass. Are they really intrigued by, they want to get their nose all the time to the ground. So I'm trying to figure out what of their senses, movement, sound, the nose, what thing is going to be the most struggle for them. And therefore, I'm going to have to weight those issues more for that dog. If I've got a hound, I've got to work more on working against his intuition to want to have the nose on the ground all the time. Versus if I have a sight, if I have a sight hound, then I've got to work on movement more. If I've got a dog with high prey drive, I really have to work on the movement piece. So those things always go into what I'm trying to plan to bring into my training practice with the dog. So I think a key takeaway for everybody is throw all these distractions into your mix and just take that a little bit, little shavings to keep working to get your dog better and better before you assume he's disobeying you because maybe he just hasn't been asked to do the right thing sure. with that level of stuff going on. 
Okay. I think that's, I think that's a lot for people to, to take in. So, so working an individual dog, we're going to keep the distraction level low, and then we're going to start to add in, depending on the dog, we're going to start to add in these distractions. All right. So let's go from, at what point are we calling it disobedience? Is it once we've reached a certain success level? No, because okay. well, here's my, here's what I look for. Here's what I look for. I look for the dog making a momentary pause. They check in with me. They heard what I said. They make a momentary pause. They check in. They're like, yeah, I heard you. I know you said come or I know you said down, but I'm going anyway. There is always that moment of acknowledgement to the handler. And the dog goes anyway after the distraction, whatever that what they wanted to pursue. That's a decision. That's when I go, this situation, I'm going to set it up again. And I'm going to show the dog there is a consequence for disobedience. You can't do that. And so most often in my world, in my pet world, where this has come up is with a recall. One of the, one of the cases that I can think that comes to mind, the lady came to me. We had been working together for several months. I'm going to say we were four or five months in. And um, she was coming to the classes. She's doing the work. Dog's doing fantastic. Dog's a rock star. And often after class, I'll be like, does anybody have questions? She goes, yeah, can I talk to you privately? I said, absolutely. She goes, he is absolutely wonderful. We've achieved so much, but there is one circumstance where he will not come back to me. And I go, well, what's going on? She said, we have a vacant lot across from my home. We go out there, we play ball. He's absolutely fine, always comes back. But when the neighbor lets his dog out to play, sure, my dog is going. It doesn't seem to matter how many times I call him, how many times I tap that button. And then I said, well, let's set it up and let's take a look. And sure enough, you could see the dog turn around and be like, yeah, but mm, yeah, over there. Yeah. And Go. so I just had a discussion with her. I said, that is to be, that is absolutely your dog just going, nah, I don't care what you say right now, mom. I'm going to go visit my friend. Do you want to fix it? And she said, yeah, because the reality was he's crossing the street to go see right, a friend. Right, yep. And he said, here's what's going to happen. We're going to triple the level you normally work on. Okay. He's going to yelp. This is not going to look or sound great. And I said, I feel very strongly what he's going to do when this happens is he's going to turn around and his butt's going to be in a big hurry to get back here. And it was. It's exactly what happened. And she said, okay. we need to practice that again. I said, no, but you need to be ready the next time he tries to disobey you to repeat it. She had to do it one more time. She okay. never had to do it again. So would Caught you even, well, would you even, I'm a big fan of creating those situations because if you, so, so if you're working on something in one area, trying to fix a problem that's in another area, I feel like I would want to fix it in that other area also. And I'd like to even know that it's going to happen. Are you okay with that? You mean a new physical location? Yes. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not opposed to, and it's tricky to do because I have dogs are smarter than some of us give credit for, and they can feel the setup coming. You have to, if you're trying to, if you're trying to create a, you know, I, I, I like to have as many, I like my training things to be as controlled as possible. And I like to even. I'll give an example. If we have dogs that are running deer and we're driving down the road and three or four deer cross the road and it's somewhere where we're safe, I'll turn dog out and I'll be like, yep. mm, here we go. You know, what you think about this? And usually it doesn't work because they, they can, I don't know what it is. I'm giving off something. Perhaps I'm just too ready. 
But, you know, but there's those situations where they're just like, yeah, I'm not do, I'm not falling for that boss. So, so I do to, I like to create as many of those situations as I can. So like have a controlled environment, I can be prepared and I can get that correction, but that's not, doesn't always work. And so I guess it comes back to having that solid foundation. And I think this is where people screw up in that they don't have that solid foundation and they're taking it to the level of this dog is disobedient. He's not. Yeah. Yeah. But they haven't put the work in to establish that, okay, it's not these other things. They want to jump, they want to jump steps and they want to, they want to get to that point where they can make that correction, but they really haven't put the work in to give a foundation that allows you to determine what's really going on. A hundred percent. I agree with that. A hundred percent. They have it. And that's why, and then the callers get a bad name, right? Yeah. Oh, my dog screamed and hit the ground and didn't want to get up again and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That tells me that the dog did not, that's why I said the dog's confused. If you use higher, higher level of pr pressure than the dog normally is experienced, a dog that understands exactly what to do goes harder and faster into the correct behavior. He okay. shows you no more confusion about it. And yes, that is why we do the setups. And that's why you got to do all these levels of training and you shouldn't do big jumps in the gap of expectation. If your dog can only recall in your backyard, you're not going to go take him off leash now in the woods where there's squirrels and deer and everything else and expect it to happen. You've got to work at that. I think that too is an issue for folks because they'll have a lot of success. They'll have a lot of success quickly in a non-distraction situation and then they'll pull them into something too quickly. And, and like I said, I, when we were talking this morning, I said, I immediately go to distraction level B and then you tend to work up, you work up a lot more than I think about it. Just when I'm talking about, when I'm thinking about my, the way I do it and the way that I train, and that probably causes more confusion and I'm calling it, I'm calling it disobedience when it's more likely it's confusion than anything else, just because I'm jumping levels maybe faster than I should. And I know. I know my customers do that. I see it all the time. So it's, you got to bomb proof those dogs. Yeah. That just takes time. So. And it's so much fun. I mean, yeah. honestly, to me, that is the fun part is just how creative can I be? What crazy things can I go out and find in the environment, bring into the environment to practice with my dog? That's what makes it fun. And I personally, I think that's what builds the relationship so strong as well. We work through all of these situations together. And I'm talking a lot about what I do with the collar and how I'll use pressure if the dog is disobedient. Mind you, on the flip side of that, my dogs are getting some pretty amazing rewards when they sure. get it right. So I am showing them both sides of the coin. So, yeah. 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 And I think that, that comes back to, we've talked about reward systems and we've talked about how you you know, how you praise them and how you reward them and making sure that they, that they're anticipating that. And I yeah. think that's another, I think that's another part of it too, that people miss out on is that, oh goodness gracious. There's a lot of positive, there's a lot of positive work in, in, in this type of training and it's not always seen as being positive. And so, so. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been able to win for a long time. I'm the I'm on the all positive folks. I'm the shock collar trainer. And then with a lot of other people, I'm like, oh, you're the collar trainer that uses food. So yeah. I can't so. win because I can use, <laughs> hang on all of it oh, in my toolbox. Yeah, but it works. It works so well. So yeah, that is one of those, that is one of those things where you're like, wait a minute, there's a lot that goes into it. And we're guilty of it as far as not 
cluing in people on all the steps. So that's mm -hmm. the, I think that's a big part of this conversation because there are a lot of pieces that go to it where you, where you go from a dog that has no idea what we're talking about to a dog that you can completely trust off leash in yeah. high distraction situations. And there's a lot of steps that go in, into that. And it's not the same steps for everybody. Yeah. And so, so understanding that this is going to happen and then even having a dog that is conditioned to the point that you can be wrong from time to time and not ruin a dog. I think that's mm -hmm. a, I think that's something that, that a lot of folks don't understand. I'm not looking to correct the dog. They're not a lot. They're not many situations where I'm looking to correct the dog and get a vocalization at the same time. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Yeah, there's not. I mean, there's some, sometimes it's going to happen, but it's not something that I'm as a general rule that I'm looking for. But occasionally I'll screw up or I'll, or screw up's not even the right word. I'll give the dog the level that I intend to give the dog for this situation. And the dog goes, whoop, that's a little more than I want it. And you get a vocalization, but because you've got a solid base and the dog knows what he's supposed to be doing, you don't get a dog that shuts down. You get a dog that, that, that goes, he's moving faster yeah. into the spot. And that allows you to go, okay, that was more than I wanted. That's not the reaction that I was looking for, but it doesn't, it doesn't ruin the, but that once again, comes back to that foundation that we're talking about as far as establishing. I understand that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's all about the foundation. And I had some videos on YouTube years ago where I was taking like a fly swatter and playing with my dogs. And I do that kind of stuff very routinely. I swat swat my dogs with the fly swatter and we play and it's all a game. And that's the thing. It's the same type of thing with the e-collar. If I use the button and it's all a game and it's all play, and as I go up and they have that context to build on, now what's very interesting, so playing with the, I was playing with the fly swatter, and then I clacked her on the, popped her on the butt a little bit harder, and she went, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. <laughs> because the conditioning if i started right. out with that she would have went sure. oh my gosh but because yeah. the conditioning she went harder faster into this game's really getting good and it's yeah. the same thing we're conditioning to handle pressure and so we can do the same thing with an e-collar when it's done properly that's why i think it's a tool with so much finesse when it's done properly you can push the dog into behavior with enthusiasm motivation more drive rather than just suppressing drive. Okay. Okay. That's a lot to, that's a lot to take in. That's a lot, that's a lot to take in, but I, I, yeah. Okay. I think that your average user, this is, this is not what they're used to hearing. No. And yeah. And I don't know if it, I don't know if it just hasn't been explained, but I think that it's one of those things that, 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 you know, that you can build with a dog. It's the part of the training that I think that people miss out on. And they can establish that going through the process and not having a dog that can handle and understands what you're wanting and what you're, what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Right. It's contextual too. I was just thinking about that. Think about athletes from the time that they're little and you're patting them on the back. You're like, get out there, go on, yep. get out there. And you're doing that. And by the time they get, they start to level up and they go up through the ranking and they're a little bit older. If you ever see the way they get, send some people out to the field get out there and get them today, team. And the coach might give them a real whack on the shoulder. If that was done when we're just sitting at the movies, right? you'd be like, why'd you just hit me? Yeah. But when we're right there and we're ready to go in to play the game, that same amount of pressure drives and propels us harder for what we've been taught to do. So it can be contextual too when we're talking about pressure and how much we can use when.
And so if we're well conditioned to it, that's why I think people just need to understand that it e-callers are so much more than just the stop button to manage behavior that you don't want. They are the gas that you can apply pressure and really fuel your engine if it's done properly. Okay. All right. That's I, okay. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to stop there, uh, right. but I think we need to do more with this. I, that's a lot to think about. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for joining us. For more information or to purchase Robin's online dog training programs, visit ecollars.com. This is Robin McFarland's eCollar Training. This video series takes a systematic approach to e-collar use from introduction to off-leash control. Three dogs of varying personalities were adopted from a shelter environment and trained daily over the course of three weeks. This series captures the real-time footage starting from day one of introducing the e-collar and progresses to the point of off-leash control and working around real-world distractions. Robin takes you step-by-step step through the process of laying a foundation, solving common problems, working through distractions, and graduating to off-leash freedom. The systematic approach and detailed instruction is designed specifically with a novice e-collar user in mind, but even experienced trainers will find a gem or two to add to the training toolbox. Each of the dogs in this video series, Grace, Brandy, and Bonnie, started training within 72 hours of being adopted from a shelter environment. What you will see is real-time training sessions, not special editing or previously trained dogs. Watch dogs with different temperaments being worked through challenges toward the goal of off-leash control and a greatly improved relationship with their handler. Robin's e-collar instructional materials are clear, concise, and never sacrifice the physical or emotional well-being of the dog. With this training, your dog will be calmer, more controlled, and be able to experience the joy of off-leash freedom. If you've longed to be able to trust your dog off-leash, but don't have the confidence to start training with an e-collar, this video series is for you. Any dog owner that is interested in learning an easier way to communicate with their dog while gaining off-leash reliability will benefit from this DVD series. This five disc set will take you step-by-step step through the process from starting the training and finding a level up through working around distractions and being ready to go off-leash.